Paul Fritschner, Rick Roaring, breaking down an absolutely insane game tonight at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Xavier loses to the Providence Friars for the second time this season. Jared Bynum hits another dagger, just like he did at the Cintas Center. Uh, just a tough-as-nails shot there toward the end of the game. Providence ends up winning by seven in a game that went to triple overtime. First time Xavier's played in triple overtime since 2010. Providence wins 99 to 92. And now Xavier, the slide continues. But Rick, this is a game that just emotionally, physically, mentally, everything just drains so much out of you. And to be on the losing end of it is so tough to swallow. Now, I I don't want to be dramatic. Obviously, the NCAA tournament, a regular season game in February is completely different. But I had some people in my mentions going back and forth comparing games. Just the way the game ended. Just bear with me. The way the game ended with Jared Bynum hitting that three and then the game just sort of slowly sipping away on free throws at the end of triple overtime gave me major, you know, Kansas State Xavier vibes where at the end of the game, it's a six or seven point game. Now, I'm not comparing those two games. Obviously, the shot making and everything else between those two teams back then, Jordan Crawford was was much different. But I'm saying just the way that this game sort of slipped away in those last 30 seconds was just so hard for Xavier to to try and handle. And now you come back and you have a chance against Seton Hall on Saturday. But Rick, let's get into this game tonight and, and uh, where Xavier sits right now. That was a big opportunity, a quad one game on the road. Uh, now Xavier has three games in the regular season left. How are you feeling about this game tonight? What was kind of your initial thoughts, takeaways, and uh, and how you saw this one tonight for Xavier? A wild game. I mean, it was a great, great basketball game. If you're ready for March Madness or you weren't ready for March Madness prior to tonight, this probably helped you get in that mood because there were a lot of good games on. I, there, I've still got a couple games going on both TVs right now. I mean, a lot of good basketball tonight, but this was by far the best game that we've seen yet this year in the Big East. Um I know for Xavier fans, it's tough to swallow right now because it's a game that they needed to win. And if they did win, it really solidified everything. It meant they're definitely in the tournament. It meant you can feel good about this team still having a chance and showing they can they can win against good teams. They can win a tough game on the road, all of those things. It was such a big game in that regard to just get everything back on track for Xavier. So to come up short in, in that sense, it's tough. It's tough to swallow. And I understand it's it'd be tough to be a Xavier fan right now. At the same time, I think there's a part of this, Paul, where this was a much better Xavier team than we saw the last two games. This wasn't the same team that we saw in the, late in the second half against St. John's. This wasn't the team that we saw in the first half late against UConn. This was a much better team that put together a complete performance. Now, they didn't shoot the ball well, aside from Adam Kunkel making some threes, and that really hurt them and, and, and made it difficult on them. But for who they are as a team, I thought they played pretty well. They played a complete game. And uh, they lost to a, a good Providence team on their home court. Now, the one thing I will say, and I tweeted this early on in the first half, is that by no means has Xavier given up on this season, right? The effort is still there. The intensity is still there. There have been times in the last few games where maybe it's been lacking. You could say stretches in the first half here and there. But like, it's not like this team is just completely folded. I, I would say tonight was a good sign in, in that aspect because the last two games I thought those were the most disheartening games we've seen from this Xavier team during the Travis Steele era that was the first time at any point it really looked like are these guys quitting or like what's going on here this team does not look right this is not even close to the team we saw you know two months ago when they were winning some big games so you know they've definitely struggled down the stretch here but tonight in my opinion was much more like the team we saw earlier in the year and a team that's going to battle you tooth and nail right down to the very last possession and in this case they needed three more overtimes to even decide it so again i mean not a bad performance by xavier by any stretch of the imagination obviously we know about their limitations i mean they were five for 19 from three point range that's who they are unfortunately that's what cost them in this game and that's why last week when we were talking I said my biggest concern about the Xavier team at this point is that they continuously can't shoot from the outside and their, their struggles on offense. That is by far the biggest concern. I thought this game really made that uh, point. It brought that point home even stronger because 
they were right there. They won this game in a lot of aspects aside from just being able to put the ball in the basket from three-point distance. And not having Nate Johnson again really hurts tonight, Rick. I mean, Yeah, I mean, definitely. You only get one other three-pointer from a guy not named Adam Kunkel, and that was the one Paul Scruggs hit um, in the second overtime to set it into a third overtime, right? That's I'm, yeah. I'm having trouble remembering the order of all this stuff. <laughs> where where the overtimes were, yeah. 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 Uh, but but I mean yeah I mean aside from that shot that Paul Scruggs hit which came you know forty eight or forty nine some odd minutes into the the contest there wasn't any three point shooting aside from Adam Kunkel going four for ten that's a tough way to win in two thousand and twenty two yeah yeah no doubt about that so it's tough to really go through any of the metrics or anything right now because all this is going to change after this game uh, but the the Status report for Xavier. You know, Xavier had had five quad one wins coming into this game. Now, I will say Marquette's right on the edge, right? They're at, at 32, and, and so is Creighton and, and St. John. So there's three games right there that are right on the edge of, of quad one game. There's, again, a lot of opportunity, a lot of things still to be decided, still with just three games left on the regular season uh, in the schedule. But, you know, as you, as you pull this up from Tom here, there's so many possessions where Xavier's only plan – was to ISO Fremantle for a 10-foot hook. Uh, Rick, what do you think about that from tonight? Uh, so I see his point for sure. I mean, that did end up happening a lot. And this year, that's typically been frustrating for Xavier because Zach has not finished in those situations. In this game, I mean, he wasn't super efficient. He ends up 7 for 14 with 15 points. But uh, or especially early in this game, he kind of carried the offense. Th- this looked a lot more like who Zach Fremantle is when he's at his best, which is a bucket getter around the basket and in that mid-range area where he's kind of isolating from six to 10 feet and making a lot of shots early on. I thought he was doing that really well as the game wore on You're right, Tom. I mean, he did end up missing some of those later, but early on, I thought it was a good strategy. Uh, it, it didn't bother me that much that they were trying to, to get him those looks because he was finishing them early. The problem is as the game wore on, you're right. I mean, he didn't make as many of them. So I think it's a valid point, Tom. I, I, um, you know, like I said, I didn't have a huge problem with it over the course of the game because he did start off so well. Yeah. Yep. Um, we're getting a lot of comments, questions. Again, if you're watching on Twitter, you can see the scroll at the bottom of the screen. Make sure you go to Facebook, YouTube, the Musketeer Report pages, and then you can just come in and we'll bring the uh, yeah. the uh, questions up. Scott wants to know, what are the odds we play on Wednesday in MSG? I think it's almost 100% now. I don't know if it's like mathematically 100%, but it's almost impossible to avoid Wednesday now at this point. Yeah, so looks I, like Xavier I, I, is going to be a lock for playing on the first day of the tournament once again. So uh, unfortunate for Xavier fans, of course, especially if you're trying to make that trip. I've been in that same situation, Scott. I remember uh, one of the first years that I went to the Big East tournament to cover it. I had planned Xavier was in good position when I scheduled my flight and I thought, they're not going to play on Wednesday night. I'm going to come in at Thursday morning, save myself a little money on the hotel. Sure enough, they ended up playing Wednesday night, and I had to sweat them out beating DePaul to see if I was going for no reason or if I was actually going to be able to even cover the team once I got to New York. So fortunately, they did win that year. That was a, a few years back now. But, uh, yeah, so I, I hear your, your pain here, Scott. And and the, and the one thing I would say before we, we move here a little bit with that game uh, or with the way that it's shaken out, like, there's a, a decent chance right now with the Big East tournament bracket, and I tweeted a screenshot of it a, a few minutes ago, that it could be Butler in the first round. And then now that Providence won tonight, you're right back to playing Providence on Thursday afternoon at 12 o'clock. Like there is a very, very, very good chance that in 15 days we see round three of what we just saw tonight. Yeah. And Scott uh, says, okay, what are the odds they win on Wednesday if they play? I think. <laughs> As of right now, they would be playing Butler, correct? I mean, that's the the way yes. the, the seedings would shake out if everything ended today. Now, that could change, I guess. But if they get Butler, I mean, you can't feel any better about one of their matchups, right? That's the team that they clearly match up best with in this conference. Yeah, yeah. So it would be Butler on day one, and then Providence would be uh, the the noon game. That would be the, the first game on quarterfinal Thursday would be Xavier and Providence. A lot to be decided but between now and then, but almost 100%, if not 100% already, that Xavier's going to be playing at some point on Wednesday night. Uh, Troy wants to know, how much do you think depth played a part in the third overtime? Just seems the fresh Friars were much more solid than Hunter. Not able to get Cesar off the scores table for three minutes was painful. Yeah, Jack Nunji fouled out 
and wasn't able to come back in, which we can talk more about the intentional fouls and the flagrant fouls and how that some of that was administered. I mean, between the fouls and the floor and everything else, it was just a wild and wacky game. But to get to Troy's point, the depth, uh, Rick. I thought it played a huge role. I mean, there was no doubt that once Nunji came off the floor at the end and Hunter was out there, I mean, you, you solved the issue there, Troy. Hunter had probably three or four mess ups on the defensive end and uh, then ended up taking a three that kind of what are we doing in that situation quite honestly and that and that to me probably if you're a Xavier fan who's really complained about the direction of the team and the coaching and all that that's one of the things right there that I would probably be most bothered by as a fan like why does Hunter feel the freedom to be taking that shot in that situation you know he's he's 0 for 4 um, in the game he ends up 0 for 5 after that shot he hadn't made a 3 yet he hasn't been shooting well from three the entire year. I understand that's what he was brought in to do. You want to try to give him confidence, but there's a difference between middle of the year. We're trying to get our guys some confidence and get them going versus last few games of the year. We're trying to get back on track, maybe even fighting for our tournament live. We've got one of our worst shooters hoisting up uh, three with the game on the line and triple overtime. That's uh, just not a good shot. So yeah, I would I would have had a, an issue certainly with with that shot Hunter took, and then some of his defensive plays in overtime. I mean, part of it was that Xavier looked tired, but I think both teams were tired. To me, it was just more about not having that extra guy on the floor that you could put out there and and having to rely on Hunter. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. And and the other thing too, if you want to just get into it right now. The, talking about some of the intentional fouling and and uh, the flagrant, the flagrant that was called on Jack, which eventually knocked him out of the game. Now, in my opinion, if you're going to call that a flagrant, you have to call the intentional or the flagrant on Providence when they committed it on Jack. And what I don't even remember, was it the end of the first overtime? Was it the end of regulation? Whatever that was at the yeah. end, which would have been a – it was it was toward the end of a sequence where it could have potentially played out in a situation where Xavier would have been in a much better spot shooting free throws with the ball instead of just shooting free throws. So uh, to me, that's that's a kind of bizarre decision to administer one and not the other. We didn't get a great look on the replay at Jacks at midcourt, but still, that's one that oh, uh, that's that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, t for me, and I, and I understand, but basically the situation there is the rule now states that if you're if you're going to intentionally foul a guy to put them at the free throw line before the ball's inbounded, like you're being obvious about we want to foul this guy, and so we're not even going to let you inbound the ball. We're just going to grab him and wrap him up or something like that. Then it it becomes a uh, a flagrant foul. Um, it used they used to call those intentional fouls. That's out of the game now, so it's just a flagrant one. You get the free throw and the ball. But I mean that. I don't even know if that should have been called a foul period. It was like two guys kind of jogging to midcourt. One slams on his brakes pretty quick and Nunji just kind of bumps into him a little bit. I mean, that happens on like, I don't know, 80 to 95% of press breaks like that, that. You can call that same thing on literally almost every single time a team breaks the press, like defenders playing up against a guy, they slam on the brakes and you bump into them for another step or two. If there's no play on the ball and you're not bumping them off their spot, causing them to travel, causing them to lose the ball, a possession or something like that, that's not even a foul. So, I, I mean, just wild to call that a flagrant foul in that position. I, I I really couldn't believe it. And then you go back to the Nunji, the the one where he got fouled from behind on Durham. I mean, again, it wasn't an egregious foul at all. He, he barely grabbed him, but he made no attempt to get a play on the ball. And, like, by the NFL standards, that's damn near horse collar tackle. So – how would that not be a flagrant foul in that situation makes absolutely no sense to me. I thought the refs really screwed up both of those. There was another call that they had that was terrible too earlier in the game. I can't remember what that even was anymore. Uh, we, I mean, and uh, honestly, like the, the, the floor situation is unbelievable. You really can't script anything better with all the people talking about Providence's <laughs> luck and everything that's gone on with this Providence team this year. You could not script a better storyline than Xavier being up, having all the momentum up by three with what was it? Two 30 to play in the game. And all of a sudden yeah. you have to stop the game for five to 10 minutes to decide what you're going to do with a wet spot on the floor. I mean, and then by the way, just completely disappeared. Those fans they put up on the roof must've been like the greatest fans of all time. I don't know why those aren't used at every place where there are condensation issues, because that was the most incredible cleanup job I've ever seen. If those fans just eliminated a giant leak on top of a, a roof of an arena in like two minutes. <laughs> uh, but 
hey, it worked out for them. They got the momentum back. They drew up a three during that 17-minute break. Uh, really good coaching there. And uh, then they got Xavier to, I think, turn the ball over right away. So that was that was smart by them to, to get that break. And the fact that it was even suggested that they were going to go bus back to campus and finish that game in their on-campus Incredible. arena. I, I wanted it to happen. After we had already stopped, I wanted that to happen. Well, so here's my here's my question. Does Andrew Catalan get his phone out and like get the exclusive rights to Periscope that? Or like, what's the deal? Does it go on YouTube or does it just not happen? Is it the like the Olympic basketball? Is it the Olympic basketball like the lost tapes? Like what's going on? Is it like uh, ESPN has to immediately negotiate with Twitch to be like, can we use your streaming services to get on real quick? We'll hold up like a cell phone or a laptop spun around backwards with a webcam and you just get like one camera angle and Catalan screaming into the the little microphone on the laptop. That would be incredible. <laughs> I would I would pay extra just to watch that. That's like a pay-per-view. I, mean, I, w- I, I wish that would happen. I, I was sitting here thinking like, are we going to be doing this show at in the morning because it took them 45 minutes to bus back to campus and they're all sitting there sweaty in their jerseys and the referees are like in the front row of the buses and they got to figure out how to get everybody back there what 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 are we doing oh man but that didn't happen they miraculously got the water cleaned up and then oh by the way the water didn't drip at all i guess the rest of the night and uh game ended and and we can literally broadcast right to well that's coming from somebody that would know best there's nobody in this there is yeah. But the question is Tom, are they set up to do that? Like do does the does the on-campus facility just have like cameras and stuff in place ready to go at all times or do you, <laughs> can you just get on a cell phone and, and send it to ESPN Plus? How's that part of it work? Like that that's that's a great uh, point. I mean, obviously you have your own streaming network, you don't need Twitch. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, oh man. Yeah, I, I want to get to this though because we were talking about the end there where Jerome Hunter struggled and they were in the overtime, they didn't have Nunji available. And I saw a lot of people talking about uh, Cesar Edwards, uh, actually Tom brought this up too. That, that would have been a good opportunity to get Cesar some minutes in a big spot playing him instead of Hunter. The one thing that I think some people are missing about that, the front court situation is Cesar isn't really a four. Like for all Jerome's issues, and, and believe me, like I he was not good at the end. I'm fully aware of that. He is a lot more mobile than the other three big men that we're talking about in terms of his defense. So if you're trying to match up, I do think he gives you better matchups in theory defensively than Cesar does. Cesar, you know, Cesar's still young. He's a little bit slow-footed. And uh, early in the game, the, the very little he played, he also gave up a wide-open three because he didn't know who he was guarding, got, got lost. So there are some things there with Cesar still where I understand why they'd be apprehensive about putting him in that situation along with Fremantle. Then you got both of those two defending at the same time. That doesn't seem ideal in an end-of-game scenario either. So... I think the issue there is the 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 bench isn't where it needs to be right now. Yeah. Rick, what did you think about how the game kind of just went through like the first half into the into the start of the second half? You're tied at the half, and then you come out of the second half. Xavier kind of throws some punches. They get up. Providence comes back. Like, how did you think the the first half and the beginning of the second half really played out? Because obviously Xavier did something different to be able to not be losing by 30 at the break. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like if, if you have thoughts on something they did specifically that was different, I'm, I'm interested in to hear them. Obviously they played uh Cesar for like a minute early and then they brought in Ben Stanley for what was it? He played two minutes early. So they did do a little bit of subbing initially. I didn't think that had any type of real positive impact on how the first half went. Um, I just thought, you know, they, they, didn't have the mental lapses. They didn't have silly turnovers. Yeah, they weren't shooting well from the outside, but they weren't even attempting shots from the outside. They got good looks on offense. They finished shots around the basket, which is something that they've struggled with as they've been in this little rut. Um, and, and overall, it was it was just a solid first half by both sides. I thought that they played pretty well. Second half, um, pretty much the same thing. I mean, you know, it's like they put together a complete game here. I thought they played well. Are, are there some issues? Yeah, this team has some deficiencies. Were there some mistakes made? Sure. I think there were more made on the Providence side, if we're being honest, though. So I like I don't know. I, I, I didn't. I, I mean, again, this game feels like it was played almost two months ago. So the actual specifics of like which play happened when are like getting a little fuzzy in my mind. But I don't <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, there were no stretches that they went through where it's like this is why they keep losing games. 
because they're just completely incompetent for like a five to 10 minute stretch. They've had that the last few games. They didn't have that tonight. I thought they were pretty solid for the first 40 minutes of regulation. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you get into the the overtime period where, you know, credit credit to at the end of the second overtime, you know, for for as much as uh, criticism as Paul Scruggs has gotten from a lot of people over the last few weeks for his play and and some of the careless turnovers and everything, and and you just kind of felt like Scruggs comes down, he's the hero. Providence decides not to foul. He hits a three. You tie the game. You go into triple overtime. You win the game. And that just feels like a win that can buoy a guy like Paul into the rest of the season. But instead, it doesn't turn out that way, regardless for Paul to step up and hit a shot like that. It's it's reassuring. It's I, I know it's you know, there's a lot more that goes into it, but still to have him step up and not see that ball clank off the rim. It, it's a it's a small victory, but it is not nothing. Well, I, I mean. I think had, you know, Xavier wins this game, like you said, you get 19 points out of Paul. He was six for 13. So, you know, not super efficient, but not bad. Six of six at the free throw line. He has two assists, two turnovers. There was like, you know, he had a lazy pass at the top of the key early in the game. That was bad. There were some defensive breakdowns, particularly the one against Bynum late where, he, you know, late in the shot clock, he lets him go right around them, fouls him from behind for the and one. Some, some mishaps like that are, are still just, kind of inexplicable. I don't understand why those keep happening to Paul late, but I, I was kind of with you. I thought after he hit that shot to send it into the, the third overtime, you're like, man, this could be a game that really gets a fifth year senior going and propels him into one of those great finishes to his career. Like we've seen in the past from Xavier seniors. And, you know, I, I don't know that I, I feel that way now since they didn't win the game. And maybe that's just getting too much into storylines, if we're being honest. But it did feel like a big moment at the time. I was kind of thinking the same thing, like, man, this could really get him back on track and that would be good. But th- this is something I, I've I've gone back to all year with Paul Scruggs. As much as people are right to be frustrated with some of the plays he makes, and it certainly hasn't been a good finish to the season for him. It's also like these people who say he should be benched or Dwan should take his minutes are not living in reality. Like, do you think Xavier has a chance in that game if Paul Scruggs isn't in there? Do you think they can survive not having a guy that can score 19 points in a game? Where is this scoring power coming from if it's not him? <laughs> like, who is going to go get you 19? Who is going to make that shot at the end of the second overtime if it's not Paul Scruggs? He's had his issues. He has not played well. I fully agree. But this is why my take all year has been, you can't just not play him. You, ha- I mean, granted, you may sit him down for stretches when he's struggling and try to get him back on track that way. But the idea of like Dwan Odom should be the point guard, Paul shouldn't play, or, or something like that, is it makes absolutely no sense. Xavier's not a better team without Paul Scruggs. And if you sit Paul or Zach or whoever like that on the bench, then you're just conceding the season. Then you're just saying, okay, we're going to go into rebuild and look into next season because we're going to develop a guy like Dwan and, and just give him all the minutes. You're, then you're just conceding everything. So you, you can't do that. You gotta you gotta stick with a guy like Paul and hope that. In the end, now toward the end of the season, maybe he figures it out and seem like tonight at least it's a major step in the right direction. Uh, so now what do they take from this? I, I think the most interesting thing for me coming out of this game is going to be what Saturday looks like. If they just get blitzed on Saturday at home by Seton Hall and, and they look lifeless, then it's going to be like, you know, was this was this game like the tipping point of the season? But if they come out on Saturday and it's the opposite where they're at home and they have a little energy, a little life you know, from this game with so much effort, so much enthusiasm. And and what I, I think Tom's saying here, the best game they've played in the Big East all season, you know, I, I think there is some truth to that that if you come out of this game and you say okay we lost but there are a lot of positives from it what does Saturday look like that's my biggest question coming out of this game what does Xavier look like at 3 30 on Saturday afternoon at home again yeah against Seton Hall uh I agree if you play the way you played today at home against Seton Hall and in theory hopefully at least one or two more of those threes go in throughout the game you got to like their chances to win that one, right? I mean, they, they've shown they match up okay with Seton Hall. I I would feel pretty good about that game, quite honestly, if they can put together another performance like they did. And St. John's actually concerns me a little bit more just because I think 
there are more clear matchup issues when they play St. John's. But same thing. I mean, both of those games are very winnable games if they play the way they did tonight against Providence. I think that's that's the good news coming out of this game. The problem is, is it comes down to uh, to this question from Jacob. He says, does X have the ability to put this type of performance out consistently or is this a flash in the pan? Yeah, and that's the question, right? Is this the, is this the, this this tonight? I guess here's here's the other part of this. Was this performance even though they didn't win, and I guess that negates part of what I'm about to say, but is this tonight the full 40 minutes that you were looking for? To me, yes, they didn't win, but this is as close as they've been to a full 40 minutes in, in a while, and they did it. Yeah, to me, this would be the team playing to expectations, right? I mean, you don't expect them necessarily to go in and win at Providence against this Providence team, being the two teams in the situations they are right now, right? Like that, that, that score and the way this game played out made sense. Xavier played well. They weren't necessarily expected to win it. They played it right down the wire, went into overtime. They lost. That's fine. You can live with that. If that's what happens to this team, everyone's fine with that. The issues are you dropped a game at home against DePaul. You dropped a game at home against St. John's. You've lost four of the last five coming into this one. That's the issue and why people struggle with losing a game like this. But yeah, you're right. If you just put together this performance again, the next three games, you could go three and zero and finish out the season just fine, and and you feel a lot better. But back to Jacob's question, do you do you feel good about that happening? I don't really. If I'm being honest, I don't really feel good that they're going to come out and play that same way for the next three games. If they do it yeah. for one of the three, they probably get at least one win. I'd say if they can do it for all three, they go definitely two and one. I think if not three and zero. Yeah, that's exactly right. And St. John's is very beat. Well, Georgetown, well, you, you just you can't lose that game. That's an absolute cannot lose that game. And then you have uh, Seton Hall this this week, which s- suddenly becomes one of the biggest games of the season. I'm not going to throw my must win stamp on it, but it suddenly becomes a massive game at home in front of hopefully you know a fired up Cintas, and it's sold out. It's it's a sold out game. I had a ton of sellouts this year. It's a sold-out game on Saturday. How does Xavier respond? That's that's a huge question. This is the best game, uh, that, you know, that that they've played. What are they going to come off of? now? Maybe the best game in the Big East season. But how do they how do they come off of that? How does how do they come off this type of a performance being a loss? Uh, Troy wants to know: Do you think we see this aggressive and downhill Kunkel going forward? Uh, his ability to search on the drive was the biggest offensive boost out of his threes. Uh, I Honestly, I feel like Kunkel's played that way a lot this year. He, to me, is the most aggressive player on this team, including going downhill. Now, you're right. A lot of times he's more of a step-back guy than trying to get all the way to the basket. And tonight, the way it played out, he, he did drive a little bit more. But um, the, the one thing – actually, two things that I thought Xavier did really well in this game that they haven't been, and this goes for Kunkel certainly, but a couple of the other guys as well, is the aggressive and decisive drives. And what I mean by that is you can sometimes play aggressively, but the ball's been stopped too long. You're catching, you're looking, you're facing up, you're jab-stepping, and then you're driving into a crowd. What Xavier was doing is if they had space tonight, as soon as they caught that ball, they were ripping into the space and going. And that makes the defense scramble and have to account for you more. So I thought that was really good. The second thing was off the ball, they were cutting a little bit more than I've seen them in recent games. And that's just reading and reacting. It's not a set play. It's not something where like the guys, you know, should be told to do it. It's like, hey, someone picked up their dribble in this situation or there's two defenders on them. You need to cut through the lane and make yourself available. Duan Odom did it twice. I think Xavier scored like three or four baskets or maybe got fouls on some of them where they were cutting off the ball like that, cutting into the lane, find each other on a pass. Something that I just don't feel that they've done a very good job of, especially recently when they've been struggling. So I thought both of those things were good. And to Troy's point, yeah, I mean, Kunkel playing that way is good for this team. The problem with Kunkel is he's not always on, you know, and with his you know physical ability, he's not going to overwhelm you with his athleticism or anything. So he needs to be on to give him the leash to fully play the way he played tonight and let him take, you know, 18 shots the way he did. But with the way the Xavier team has been going and how they've been struggling to score, and especially with Nate Johnson being out, I think they're now a team that can consistently give Kunkel at least 10 shots, maybe even a few more than that, maybe more like 12. So, and if he's on, then you let you ride him like you did tonight. 
Did your dog watch the game with you tonight? Well, I was just looking. She appears to have woken up here back behind me on the chair. She fell asleep sometime going into the first overtime, I believe. And she had been like snoring through the second and third overtime. But here she's excited about the podcast and she appreciates the sound of your voice. So was she she wasn't excited in a second and third overtime and just didn't didn't do enough for her? I think the uh, whole water situation on the court really yeah, uh, got her down. And she was a little, got it, uh, got it. yeah, a little tired. I don't and, blame and her at that point. <laughs> she was uh, over it. I don't blame her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom mentions the guy from DraftKings. Yeah, if you think we're having a bad night, DraftKings just tweeted out someone bet three hundred sixty-three thousand on Xavier plus one and a half tonight. Ouch. Yeah, I thought it was to win three hundred sixty-three thousand, but either way, regardless of what it was, someone put six figures on this Xavier team to win at Providence. Which, I mean. Whatever. I mean, you, you could have thought it was a smart play for Xavier to cover tonight. But if you're betting six figures on this Xavier team, you are an idiot. <laughs> I mean, you just have no idea what you're going to get from this team. It's not that Xavier couldn't pull off the win tonight. That was entirely possible. But you have absolutely no idea what you're going to get from this team on a game-to-game basis. I have no idea how anyone would be comfortable putting six figures on this Xavier team right now. That's an insane move. Okay. That's what it was, Tom. 363 to win 300K. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Um, there we go. Yeah. There's uh, a couple other questions that I saw in here. Uh, let me get to it. It was funny. That was the conversation all day was why was the line one and a half? And they were covering. They were covering the entire game, basically, until triple yeah. overtime. But overtimes where the underdogs always go to die. Yeah. And that's why you don't bet six figures on Xavier at Providence, folks. I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, Troy said Dwan's defense on Bynum was awesome. That fifth foul was super unfortunate. Forced Paul, who was cramping, back on Bynum and inserted Jerome. Yeah, that uh, was costly. I, I thought Dwan had a pretty good game overall, too. I did, too. Um, I, I did, yeah, too. Went- I, and I think lately has been a bright spot. I think he's really had a good stretch of games over the last few games, and he's not – especially with Nate being out and having to be inserted into the starting lineup. I like what Xavier's gotten out of Dewan the last few games. Yeah. Especially when he's playing better defensively, he, he has to be good defensively for this team. Like you can, you can't put him out there with his lack of shooting um, and have him get beat or have him just be okay. Like he's small. He doesn't have a lot of length. He has got to be freaking on it defensively. He's got to be getting deflections, pressuring the ball, getting after guys, being really physical. And I thought tonight he mostly played that way. He finished with 11 points. He was 5 of 9 from the field, 1 of 1 at the free throw line, uh, 2 assists and 2 turnovers. That was one other thing. The the free throws ended up even themselves out more at the end of the game because they had to start fouling in the overtime periods just to stop the clock. Uh, but for most of the game, Xavier had a significant amount more free throw attempts than Providence did. And uh, the way they finished, Xavier was 21 of 25 at the free throw line. Providence was 19 of 29. So Xavier shot a much better percentage, ended up making more free throws. I thought, you know, that was a big key to them staying in this game was one, they took away Nate Watson for most of the game, like they did the first time. And two, they did a great job of getting the ball inside and getting to the free throw line. Part of that was what I brought up before, where I thought they were attacking more aggressively off drives and also cutting a little bit more and, and finding some seams in the defense. But part of it also, too, is it felt like they were doing a better job of drawing contact when they were going to the basket instead of getting their shots blocked, which has been a big issue for this team a lot this year. Um, and Providence doesn't have like a bunch of shot blockers on their defense. But uh, last time they played them, I think they blocked like seven or eight shots and Manaya had four of them against Xavier. So they definitely did a better job this time of attacking and getting into the Providence players' bodies and drawing some contact and, and forcing the officials to make a call. Yep. Uh- Dave says, need to play like they did tonight, although I said the same thing after UConn at home, then we played like crap against St. John's, which, Dave, goes back to exactly what I said five minutes ago. My biggest takeaway from this game is what are we going to see on Saturday at the Centos Center? That, to me, to me, what we see on Saturday at 3.30 is going to define how we see the rest of this season. Because if Xavier comes out flat and and – maybe doesn't get killed, but if they lose on Saturday and fairly convincingly, then we'll know that this game maybe just took too much out of Xavier and they'll float through the rest of the season. Maybe they catch a break here and there, whatever. But if they come out inspired and, and 
feeling good on Saturday, then you have some confidence going forward. And hopefully in front of a sold out crowd, they can be inspired to do that. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you about that. I mean, t- today, tonight's game was like win or lose. You needed to see them play the way they did tonight. And in my opinion, they answered the bell in that regard. They played well. They didn't come out with a win in a tough environment against a very good team that's going to be a, a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. There's no shame in that. But like you said, now you go back home with a game that you do need to win and you should be able to win. You are going to be favored. That's a different story. That's where it's like, okay, this is the opportunity. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. I couldn't agree more with you that that really kind of tells us where they're at. Like are things still, are they still in a rut? Are they still trending downwards? Was tonight just a, a one-off with their backs against the wall? They gave it their last ditch effort. Now the season's over or are they back? They just had a few games where they, they weren't quite themselves. And uh, now they're ready to make an, an honest run here late in the year and give it their best shot. We'll see what happens. Uh, Patrick asked best Fremantle game all year. I would say no. Um, the, the one that comes to mind for me is the Butler game where he had, I think what, like 20 something points um, and he was really efficient. Now you may look at that and say, I mean, it's Butler. Of course he played well. Like they match up well against Butler. That's not as meaningful of a game. And I, and I totally get that stand, that standpoint. I would kind of agree with it. Um, I think he was pretty good in the UConn game too, that they won. I might have that like similar to this game and, and, and how he impacted it. Yeah. He had 12 points in that game at home against UConn, five and nine from the floor. Didn't Andy didn't take a three in that game either. Did I cut out? Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, he uh, he went five and nine from the floor in that game against UConn at home um, and finished with 12 points. But the one at Butler, which is what I think you were just talking about, uh, or sorry, the, the Butler game at home, that was the one where he had 20, what was it, 20, 23, 23, seven of eight from uh, inside the arc, two of five from three. So yeah, that's probably the one I would, I would because he was the only one in that game for Xavier had scored in double figures. So that's probably the game I would point to, but it, it was good to see Fremantle not be a liability tonight score 15 points and get eight rebounds or two rebounds shy of a double double three steals I mean, there were a couple of times tonight where he just showed up with the basketball at really timely points in the game whether it was a steal or whether it was uh a rebound or whatever it might be and and i thought he was pretty good against uconn defensively I, I thought he was pretty good based off the eye test i mean there were some moments whatever that you may see but overall it seemed like he was pretty good and then steal uh, said he graded out best on the team after the UConn game defensively. So take that for what it's worth. But that's back-to-back games where I thought he's been pretty darn good defensively now. And the other thing that you look at, he had, uh, I think it was 10 rebounds against UConn, and then he had eight rebounds tonight. So starting to be more active on the glass again, which is something that this team desperately needed from him too. Um, the, the Ken Palm numbers just came in and Xavier actually moved up. They started the night at 37. They're now 35th and Providence did not move. I'm sure Providence fans will love that. They're still 46th. Um, so that's, that's a little something. I mean, that checks out though, right? They were like, what? Yeah. Two point favorite or one and a half point favorite or something. And they went in triple overtime. Like, I, I think that checks out. Yep. Yep. Uh, Tom says Xavier led SVP Sports Center tonight, so that's something. Uh, there you go. If you haven't seen uh, SVP yet, you switch over to that after we're done. They'll replay it 150 times, I go. think, and you can watch it. Throw that up there. Um, oh, look at that. Right on my screen as I turn it on. How about that? Uh, uh, oh, also, one thing I need to address. Scott Cleaver wants to know, was this game more entertaining than the special military operation by Russia? Uh, <laughs> this game tonight at Providence, was it was a titanic struggle. It was a massive, uh, you know, it, it was a huge battle between a couple of teams. But one thing it was not, Rick, it was not a war. Well, I don't know if you can use battle, quite honestly. And someone else brought a good point up. I, this might have been Troy again on Twitter. I can't believe it, it was one of our frequent guys who commented on Twitter. Uh, probably shouldn't be saying guys are shooting the basketball either. You know, I mean, we, we just don't want to use these euphemisms oh, that could be confused with actual people at war. And uh, shout out to the troops. 
Yeah, that is right oh. here. Yeah, uh, that is. That's a great point. So read the tweet for the people. Read the tweet that you got today. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. So people know uh, what the hell we're talking about right now. I lost you, Rick. Can you hear me? I hear you fine. Yeah. Oh, I can't hear you. Uh oh. The Russians cut me off. Oh my God. <laughs> the Russians cut the me Russia off. Situation and immediately they're erasing I, I can see your lips moving. <laughs> Vladdy cut me off. Oh my God. This is incredible. I mean, that was 20 seconds. We might just have to keep going back and forth here and, until we figure this out. This is great podcasting. Yeah, I got nothing. You, you said, you, you still know can't what? Hear me. If, uh, if you're going to talk about me, if you're going to be disparaging to me, I'm going to not let you do your own job and I'm going to wage war on your audio devices. And he just came right from my laptop and now I'm gone. I'm off. I'm off. I can't. I got nothing, Rick. I this got is, nothing. But you can hear me. I can. I can. Yes. I, I can. What okay. is happening? Um, yeah. Stop. Just st- stop for a second. You just stop. I'll, I'll handle it for a second. I'm going to explain to people what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. So earlier tonight, Paul, our uh, good friend, got a tweet. He was tweeting about the wars. You know, Xavier divides each game up into uh, four minute wars based on the media timeouts. And uh, Paul got a tweet, and I'm looking it up right now. He got a tweet from a guy who told him. Wait, I got you. Can you hear me now? I got you now. Yes. Okay. I'm looking, I'm looking at for Bill's tweet. And uh, oh, my good friend, Bill. Yes. Yeah. Bill Weghorst. Yeah. Okay. Here it is. So Paul had said, you want change. Here you have it. Through the first three wars, Ben Stanley and Cesar Edwards have both seen the floor. Xavier's mixing and matching right now. And our guy, Bill Weghorst, chimes in with, these are not wars. War is what is about to happen in the Ukraine and foxholes. <laughs> Which is a great point. It is a great point, right? Spot the lie. I'm looking through Bill's uh, previous tweets right now. <laughs> he had some interesting commentary on MGK and Megan Fox. He's, he's a little all over the place, Bill. So if you want to check out Bill Weghorst on Twitter, I would highly recommend it entertaining follow and also just a, a great moment during tonight's game when he told you about real war, which you weren't aware of. Well, and then the other, the, the better part was that from there, once I quote tweeted it and then you quote tweeted it, my mentions just devolved into a great space to discuss the geopolitical state. Really? It's going to be fascinating to see what people like, what it looks for like for the people right now watching this, because one of our Wi-Fi's is off. I think it's yours. I think I'm good, uh, but maybe that's wrong. Maybe it just looks good because it's on my end. But you are completely frozen right now. I don't know if you can hear anything I'm saying. Yeah, Paul's just frozen. So I don't know. Can someone comment and tell me what you guys are seeing on your end? Or is Paul frozen on your screen too? Because I don't see Paul. Oh, now I see you again. Are you back? Can you hear me? Now I'm back. We gotta get. We gotta get off Russia, man. We gotta this get off crazy. Of Russia. Yeah. No more Russia talk. No more <laughs> we got- talk. Get off! We gotta get off of Russia. Putin is shutting us down. Uh, okay, Paul Moeller says Paul is definitely frozen. So thank you, Paul Moeller, for uh, sorting out Paul Fritschner's situation. No offense, it would have been slightly better if a guy named Paul didn't chime in there. So it would have been less confusing for me to <laughs> say. Um, yeah, Tom says you're frozen too. So all right, the audio has been fine. Video freezes off and on. We can live with that because when we put it up for a podcast, it'll work well. Uh, Doug comments that Providence is now up to plus 0.208 in luck score on Ken Palm, cruising to the highest score of all time in the luck factor. So uh, Xavier's like 2008 team was one of the the luckiest of all time, right? Xavier has to be pretty high up there. 2018, the Xavier team was plus 0.091. That was 17th. No team in Ken Palm in the last, as far as I can tell, 10 years has finished 0.2 or higher. It may not ever... I don't think a team in the Ken Palm as far. Oh, Wagner in uh, 2008 finished 0.226. Wow. And that's it. So that, that famed Wagner team that everybody remembers. Everybody remembers that Wagner team in 2006 or 2008, whatever it was, 2008 Wagner. They finished 0.226. The only other team that finished that high is Providence. 
Doug says, uh, definitely, Paul, it's freezing on your end, but literally only when you talk about Russia. So I think that All probably right. <laughs> solves the issue that. there. We, we'll just shut up. Um, was Hurley at Wagner then? Was Hurley oh, the great at Wagner point. that year? That was Mike Dean. There you go, Troy. Um, what, what else do we need to wrap up? Do we have anything else from the game here that we got? Uh, uh, just, just to kind of run through like where Xavier is. And again, I know it'll probably all change. Xavier is 25th today on the net. And then as far as kind of like looking around the rest of the league, um, I, I mentioned it a, a few minutes ago, but Creighton is 64th, uh, in the net and, uh, St. John's is 68th. Those are both right on the edge because at 64 and 68, if those games go below 75, those will drop out of quad one games. But on the flip side, Marquette, they're 32nd. If that gets back into the top 30, that'll be a quad one game for Xavier. So there are three games right now for Xavier that are all right on the edge of being quad one, quad two. So if you're looking for games to root for, Maybe you hope that that Marquette wins a game or two here down the stretch. That, that ends up as a quad one game. Uh, St. John's, you know, who knows? That, that there could be things that that uh, flip those one way or the other. Um, but between and Seton Hall too is thirty sixth uh, in the net. So that's four t- four games for Xavier that are all right on the edge of being quad one, quad two games. Um, yeah. If it freezes, it hasn't frozen since we stopped talking about uh, Eastern Bloc countries and conflict. Don't say the R word. No, so absolutely staying away from that discussion. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of where Xavier sits right now. As far as um, uh, bracket matrix goes, it was updated yesterday on the 22nd. Uh, Xavier's average seed was a 7.3. They were the third seven seed. Still in every bracket, uh, but after a game like this, I'll, I'll be interested to see at the next uh, update how this kind of affects Xavier where they go. But really, I think it'll be it'll be Saturday. Saturday could really be a turning point game for Xavier to win it, boost you into St. John's and Georgetown, or to lose it at home on a sour note. That would be um, a, a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, I mean, um, just looking at Xavier's resume the the on Bart Torvik you can go through and look at like similar resumes from past years that have made the tournament and you look at all the resumes listed all of them are somewhere between an eight to ten seed uh except for 2009 Wisconsin was a 12 somehow but uh Xavier's you know like like we expected somewhere probably between uh an eight to ten seven to ten right now um and if they if they win out, that'll change. If they lose out, that'll change, obviously. But if they do some combination of like one and two or two and one, my guess is they basically stay right in that range. They they are nine and nine right now in quad one and quad two games. Just go down to the teams that are on the bubble and look at what they are in, in those games. I mean, it is it's it's pretty obvious that that Xavier is going to be um more than likely in the tournament. I, you talk about the the teams that are on the bubble. Most of them have three quad one and quad two wins. Like I'm, I'm looking at it right now, the cutoff point. Mississippi State is three and nine against quad one and quad two teams. Um, uh, who else we got? Oklahoma. Oklahoma is seven and 13 against quad one and quad two teams. To give you more of an example of a, a school that plays in a high major conference, um, Dayton – is seven and five against quad one and quad two teams. So, I mean, just, just giving you an idea there, Xavier still is in better shape than pretty much everyone that's on the bubble. Those are some of the, uh, the better resumes of the bubble teams and they're, they're still ahead of them pretty clearly. So I, again, it's just hard to find a way in which Xavier does not make the tournament unless they just lose out the rest of the way. And now Paul is frozen again, it would seem. Excellent. Oh, we got Paul just went black, and now it's uh, we've got the wheel of death spinning. So let's see if we get a refresh or if we're just going to have to shut it down. I don't see any more questions either, so uh, maybe it's just best we shut it down. All right, let's do that. Thank you, uh, guys. Oh, there's Paul. 
Paul, here we are. You back? Okay. Right, you want to sh- just shut I, this thing down? I think we've. I, I think. I think. I, I think at this point. I, I think it, at at this point. Yeah, we gotta. We just gotta wrap this one up. Yeah, the Ethernet cable that was a huge yeah. miss. It's literally sitting right here next to my laptop. So. Paul, come on. Well, I mean. No, Nick, I know. I know. Nick, first of all, no. some of us pros aren't. Pros aren't doing it from a MacBook, okay? We have like an actual computer set up. I'm I'm locked in. I'm hardwired all the time. That's why I was pretty sure it wasn't mine. Uh, talk to your no, boy Paul mine. there, Nick. I'm I'm it's doing mine. Just Hand fine up. Here. Hand up. I mean, it, I, I'm literally the it's sticking out here, and I just didn't plug it in. So Nick's a pro. Nick's a pro podcaster. He knows how the the technology works. He's got he's got his shows going, so he he can get it done. Uh, if you need to talk to him, Paul, to get your setup going, maybe maybe hit up our boy Nick. I'm clearly not going to talk to the Russians. I'll tell you that much, dude. Why do you keep saying that word? Why? Why I, do you keep? I, I, that I am not doing that. Absolutely not. Um, all right, Rick. Do you? Uh, do you have anything else? I think that's it. I mean, I think I think we we touched on everything we can. I don't know. Let us know if you like this format at all. I I do like the live aspect of being able to interact with you guys, especially after a game, because sometimes you have questions about things that I didn't think of, or you notice things that I didn't even notice. So it's interesting to get you guys sort of prompting us as we go i like that but it's also a little bit more of a cluster as you obviously just experienced um so let us know if this is okay i don't think we'll we'll switch to one or the other we'll continue to do both where we do a normal podcast sometimes and other times we'll do a live show we can interact with you guys um but yeah please please let us know how these things are going if you want us to continue doing them or if you want just regular podcasts all the time yeah and i would say the plan is you know we we've talked about it the plan is uh We'll probably put another podcast out, just a regular one on uh, on Monday uh, to to recap a quick one, maybe after the uh, Seton Hall game, and then uh, we'll do one previewing the Big East tournament after uh, after that, maybe to get out on the Monday before that. So that's just a couple of things to look out for. Uh, but yeah, thanks everybody for uh, listening into this one and, and bearing with the issues. Next time we do a live show down here, I'll make sure the Ethernet cord is plugged in and we're. Uh, or more sound and, and hopefully Vladdy doesn't take over my computer again. All right. Thanks everybody.